Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you. your host. It is great to be back with all of you. I had a great time with all of you last night. We had a fantastic show. 
We got so much addressed and established and uh, amazing dialogue and, and such great guests. Uh, first and foremost, every episode, I, I always want to thank my guests, my co-hosts, my audience and sponsors. You guys are incredible. And the show just keeps getting bigger and bigger. We are now listened to in 23 different countries. We're on nearly 70 online platforms. And people, I tell you, every, every week it just gets better and better. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't do it without you. Uh, so I have so much gratitude. Um, I also want to let everybody know, uh, if you miss any past articles, I mean, if you miss any past episodes, past clips, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextgenusa.com. And, and don't forget, like I said, we will be mentioning in the coming weeks uh, details about uh, the many notable people that will, will be doing their own shows on our, on our media company. So very exciting stuff. Uh, I'm very excited to share that with you as the time gets closer. I do want to welcome to the show um, doctor, award-winning speaker, professor, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and commissioner of Parks and Recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Bob Branch. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic tonight, Rory. How about yourself? And I look forward to a great show tonight. Thank you, sir. Good to have you here. Um, I also want to welcome to the show a popular talk show host, Desert Storm veteran, columnist, and activist, Eric Thompson. Eric, how are you, my friend? Hey, good evening. Uh, Doing great. Thank you for having me back on. Absolutely. Uh, Also want to welcome to the show uh, 2024 presidential candidate, uh, popular popular talk show host, activist, and best-selling author, Daryl King. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, my friend, and I always feel bad because I always I always send a, a shout out to the guys ahead of me. You got uh, Dr. Branch, and and really exciting to have Eric on. I don't know. I always I always leave out Mike in Texas. So Mike, if you're listening, I'm I'm excited to have you uh, involved here tonight, and of course Kevin DeKuyper. And uh, of course you, Rory, and and anyone else we got coming on. We we got a Clint Bellows on tonight. Uh, he'll be back with us Thursday. Ah, we'll we'll get him Thursday. All right, let's have a fun show, guys. Absolutely. Also, want to welcome to the show um, founder of College Republicans United, founder of Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin Dukeiper. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing so wonderfully, Rory. Your show is getting better and better, and I'm looking forward to an even better show tonight. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Um, I also want to welcome to the show a businessman, Twitter master, activist, and political strategist, Bill Lambert. How are you, my friend? Good, Rory. How are you doing tonight? Have a good show. Doing very well. Doing very well. Um, big, big stuff. Big stuff happening. That's for damn sure, guys. Um, I obviously want to start with the big news story today, which is Venezuela. Uh, this is getting out of hand, guys. I mean, this is, you know, at its <laughs> – this is at – I mean, this is so bad. I, you know, this is something straight out of a movie. We had about 40 or 50 people killed today in Venezuela, and anybody that saw the clip, there was military tanks running down their own people. They're running down their own people. There's pictures of blood. There's graphic video of the incident. Um, and it is just getting scarier and scarier and sadder and sadder. We've been seeing these people for months and actually years now. 
trying to even, even find food to survive. They don't even have that. I mean, these people are fighting for their lives, and you have Maduro who won't leave. He won't leave power. He refuses to cooperate with other leaders' requests for him to leave and let the other guy who, who they're recognizing right now, I forget his name, but he need, the guy that's supposed to take over, according to our president and according to other leaders. But uh, Maduro won't leave. And now he's got Russia in his back pocket and teaming up with him. We have Russia going against us. I mean, they've, they've gone against us for the longest time, but we have them being hostile and purposely malicious uh, against our country. And we have, all, we have other countries. Look at Cuba. Look at what Cuba's doing. They're, they're in bed with, um, with Venezuela. You have Cuban troops uh, in the Venezuelan area. You know, this is, this is something that is, is beyond uh, fixable. I mean, Venezuela, for anybody that doesn't know, at one point it was one of the richest countries. It was a beautiful place to go, safe, lots of money. And you know why they had that? Because of capitalism. Do you know why? That their country is pretty much gone forever and is, I mean, it pretty much is unrepairable. If you look at how much damage that has happened over the years and the amount that's built up, I mean, they, they have some of the biggest problems, I think, out of any country uh, in the world. I mean, this is really bad. So, you know, it, it breaks a lot of people's hearts because you, you see this sort of thing, and this is what the left in America wants to do to us. They want to have this mentality. They want to have this sort of agenda with the socialism uh, tactics. And, you know, they want, they want to be this sort of dictator that Maduro is. So this is something we can all relate to, uh, especially with the ideology that the left is pushing right now, like, like I just said. You know, you have, you have people in Venezuela that are, I mean, totally scared for their lives. There's no, there's no doubt about it. These people don't know what to do. And, and the fact that the leadership has gotten to this point is beyond disgraceful. It's beyond disgraceful. And we all know Maduro just wants to play games with our president. He wants to play games with him. He doesn't like Trump. He wants to start a war. He's trying to, 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 to play this, you know, game. Because, you know, it's just it's not going to work. We know it's not going to work. There's other countries that, you know, want to go into Venezuela and, and you know, stop this obviously we we have um talked about it you know i'm going to play a clip here in a second about mike pompeo and, and what he said about uh you know what what uh, some of the details are but you know this is this isn't going to last too much longer president trump isn't going to sit around and allow uh maduro to terrorize you know his, his people you know and, and i've said for the longest time i know that we're not supposed to be the world police but but at the same time when something gets this bad, and we and the United States has so much history with Venezuela in certain aspects, you know, you have. I just think you have to do something. We're going to talk about it though. Let's play Pompeo, then we'll talk about it. Get the latest on the situation right now from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He joins us from the State Department. Mr. Secretary, thanks for being here. Brett, it's great to be with you this evening. He heard in an interview earlier you said that uh, Nicolas Maduro was on his way out or planning to leave by plane to Havana, Cuba. How close did he get? Yeah, it's understanding that uh, he, w he was ready to go. He'd, he'd made a decision that uh, we've been urging him to make for quite some time. Uh, and then he was, uh, he was diverted from that action by the Russians. Uh, we, we hope we hope he'll reconsider and get back on that plane. Uh, we've we've made it very clear 
We support the National Assembly, their uh, interim president, Juan Guaido, and we're supporting the Venezuelan people in their uh, hour where it's time to get it right and begin to build back their economy so that uh, starving children can eat and those that are sick can actually get medicine that's sitting on the nation's very border. Would he have safe passage to Havana if he got on that plane? Uh, Brett, we've, we've made very clear uh, what uh, uh, are the expectations uh, for uh, Maduro's departure, for the departure of others too, uh, and what our expectations, what assurances we're willing to provide them. I, I'm not going to discuss those here. But living is one of them. <laughs> uh, Brett, I'm just not going to start down that path. Okay. Well, what about the Russians? Has there been communication with the Russians since they told him to stay in Caracas? Uh, Brett, I don't want to get into all of the conversations we had today, but it's very clear. Uh, the Cubans and the Russians understand that they are upsetting uh, the duly elected leader there in Venezuela. They, they know that. I hear sometimes people saying, well, the United States is considering an invasion. The invasion has taken place. The Cubans have thousands of their officers inside of Venezuela today. They are not there with the consent of the government. They were there with the consent of uh, the thug Nicolas Maduro, um, but not Juan Guaido, the duly elected leader of the Venezuelan government today. Uh, and for the Russians, it's the same. Uh, look, it's time for Maduro to leave. It's time for there to be free and fair elections. And it's time to begin to rebuild this once great economy. You know, you're talking about Cuba and Russia, you have, as you look at the map here, 45 nations around the world have recognized Guaido as the leader of Venezuela, including the U.S., but there are 14 countries that continue to support Maduro, Russia, China, Turkey, Cuba, Bolivia, Iran, Nicaragua, Uruguay, Mexico, Syria, Belarus, South Africa, Cambodia, and North Korea. I mean, are you turning the screws on these countries? How is that pressure building to accept Guaido? So the State Department team has been hard at this. We're now up over 50 nations. I think it's 54 or 56 nations that are supporting Juan Guaido. Uh, we're happy to have the 57th, uh, the moment we can get it. Um, we've made clear to the nations that you just called out, uh, we've made clear to them they're on the wrong side of history uh, and that the rule of law and democracy ought to be restored, uh, that the destruction that's taken place over years inside of Venezuela will be a struggle to rebuild, but it is a worthy cause, and Nicolas Maduro cannot be anywhere in the country if the Venezuelan people hope to finally achieve that outcome. I'm confident they'll get there, and the United States, uh, the Lima Group, the countries in the uh, region, the Organization of American States, are all supporting that. You mentioned that uh, some in the Maduro regime talk about the U.S. possibly invading Venezuela. One of those was the ambassador to the U.N. for Venezuela, who said that the buildup in the embassy in Bogota, Colombia, next door, has been to get ready for war. Let's listen to this. It's 3,000 planners, 3,000 intelligence officers, 3,000 trainers, 3,000 technicians, 3,000 information warfare technicians. It's a war embassy. Show me wherever in the world there are more than 3,000 Americans in one embassy. So they are planning for war. Let's take off the uh, blindfold and look at the reality as it actually is. What's your response to that as we look at live pictures uh, in Caracas, Mr. Secretary? Right. We never talk about the numbers we have at any particular embassy. They, they change from day to day. Uh, but if the question is, is the United States prepared uh, to consider military action if that's what it takes to restore the democracy there in Venezuela, the president's been consistent and unambiguous about that, that the, the option to use military force is available if that's what is ultimately called for. We hope it's not. 
We hope there can be a peaceful resolution and that Maduro will leave without violence. We're watching those who are engaged in violence and we will hold them accountable. Uh, but the president's made very, very clear that we are going to ensure that Venezuelan democracy is restored. Nicolas Maduro uh, did issue a tweet today uh, and he said, nerves of steel. I've spoken to all commanders in the integral defense regions and integral defense zones around the country who have pledged their total loyalty to the people, the Constitution, and their fatherland. I call for maximum popular mobilization to assure the victory of peace. We will win. I mean, Mr. Secretary, that does not sound like a guy that's getting ready to leave. Nerves of Steel hasn't shown himself very much today, Brett. While Juan Guaido is out talking to the people of Venezuela, he's on the street shaking hands, uh, rallying people behind him, while Nicolas Maduro has been hiding for the whole day. Uh, so much for Nerves of Steel. Uh, as we're continuing to look live there, were you taken by surprise that this happened on this day and not tomorrow? Uh, yeah, we've been working to restore democracy for months. Uh, as events unfold day to day, uh, you can never predict which day particular events will happen. On uh, we, we've been we, we've known that there would always be some day that looked about like today, in the sense of uh, the increasing opportunity for Venezuelan democracy, and we're continuing to support that effort. Is there a red line in Venezuela? If Maduro does X, the U.S. does something. Uh, we've planned out lots of options. Uh, we're prepared for lots of things. I don't want to talk about uh, what particular actions may trigger particular responses. The president just talked about the need for the Cubans uh, to change their ways and what we will do if the Cubans make a decision to continue to engage in violence to take down uh, the duly elected leadership in Venezuela. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't want to get into where particular lines are. But the Venezuelan people should know uh, that not just the United States, um, but 50-plus countries, the Organization of American States, are all prepared to continue to work and support them and stand with them. Mr. Secretary, I have two more questions for you. One is on North Korea. The North Koreans saying there needs to be a new approach to denuclearization. Are you still hopeful that that is all going to come together, seeing what you're seeing now? I am. I, I still remain hopeful, Brett. There's, there's, only, there's only one real approach to denuclearization. That's to denuclearize, right, to, to begin uh, to take down the threat. And uh, we're prepared to engage in conversations to uh, arrive at a process by which uh, the North Koreans can see their way clear to fulfilling the commitment that Chairman Kim made uh, back in Singapore in June of last year. Last thing, as a cabinet secretary, would you be questioned by staff members up on Capitol Hill? <laughs> I haven't given it two seconds thought. Uh, it's certainly, having served in Congress for uh, six years, uh, I, I don't think it was ever the case that a committee I was on, and I was in probably uh, hundreds of hearings, I don't think I ever I don't think in any of the actual committee hearings we had staff members asking questions. Mr. Secretary, as always, thanks for the time. Uh, Dr. Branch, I'll start with you. Go ahead. And, and just, just by the way, I want to say, I want to say real quick, I do believe that President Trump has a plan, and like he said many times uh, during speeches and to to reporters, if I have a plan, what I'm going to do to someone, I'm not going to tell all of you so the enemy can get ready. You know, so it's I really believe there's something in the works. But go ahead, Dr. Branch. Well, I agree with you. I mean, you see Pompeo today sitting there. He is a man that knows all of his options. Right. He's not he's not a man yeah. questioning what will happen. They know X, yeah. Y and Z and what will happen. What's happening now right. in Venezuela. And I've seen it this morning, as you did. And, and the world seen yeah. you seen a, a government turn military yeah. vehicles not just on their people but running their people over like cowards 
to me yeah. that is that it has and it has to be an alarming wake up call for the people of the United States. Two weeks ago, you had on your show and a wonderful guest, uh, Ernest Rhodes, uh, the author of Killing the Boar, uh, Government Complacency yeah, the, the in South Africa. The, far- the guy that was overseeing the farm murders in South Africa. Th- th- that's exactly right. He's reporting on similar situations in a socialistic government. He has also reported on Zimbabwe, what's happened there. We now see it in Venezuela. Yet... Mm-hmm. Most of the presidential hopefuls on the Democrat side are embracing the socialism doctrine. It doesn't yep. work, folks, and you have to see this. You can see it with your own eyes unfolding. Right. And to me, we have to, you know, to, uh, and I love the fact when, when, he, when Pompeo was pressured, is military on the table? And he just made it really clear. It has never been off the right. table. And to me... You know, what's happening in Venezuela has to be a wake-up call for the people of the United States. And if it isn't, there's something extremely wrong. You know, I I like how slick and strong and firm Pompeo is. Trump made a great choice. He's he's great, Pompeo. And I also want to say, you know, what you said about socialism, you're absolutely right. No matter how somebody tries to spin it, no matter how somebody tries to explain it, it's socialism. People think in America, oh, we can do socialism a different way. We don't have to do it like Venezuela did it. No, socialism is socialism. It's all the same. You know, these, these people's and Bernie Sanders and, and Bernie Sanders endorsed Maduro. That is, yeah. you know, that, that's a fact. He came forward. He said Maduro was great. Now look what's yeah. happening. Maduro turned military vehicles on the people, protesters today yep. turned them on and not just yep. to them but ran over people i mean ran over that's murder that is absolutely premeditated murder there is no you know there's no gray area there the world seen venezuela murder its own people today and today right. uh, that's this, extreme to me yeah this is something straight out of a movie i mean this is this is something insane uh eric eric go ahead yeah, I think I I don't think this is too unexpected. Anytime anytime that a dictator is elevated from capitalism down there in Venezuela, you know, then they said, Well, we'll be the democratic socialist experiment and Danny Glover went down there and DiCaprio and Sean Penn and Michael Moore and and they said this is the this is what America should be and then the country <laughs> what, what the country was benefiting from all of the government spending and everybody was happy and eating fats. And say, sure, you can have all the power because we're so happy. Well, the problem is history shows as free people give up their sovereignty to Marxism and tyranny, it always comes back to get them. And so we're just seeing another example of when people give up freedom for benefits and for government, big daddy state, it always hurts them. And so we're now seeing the people that benefited from the spending and now they're feeling the pain of a dictator that doesn't want to lose power. And it's, it's that, that's that struggle. That's where the Rand Pauls of the world and the libertarians, uh, I, I'm more on the libertarian side as someone that went to desert storm and been to 13 countries is uh, it's always difficult to say at what point do we 
then still be the governments of the world, or that we're still going to legislate through our own power who should be the the leader down there. So I have compassion for the people that are dying. And so I'm, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that this is not a surprise to me watching this unfold over the last six or seven years, especially with Obama sticking his nose in it and butting up with Cuba and Venezuela. There's nothing good that anything Obama touched ends up going sour in the end. Yeah, I tell you, I mean, he, he's the biggest piece of shit to ever walk the face yep. of the earth. The way he, the way he divided this country. Yeah. It's so, it's so aggravating. Um, Bill, Bill in Texas, go ahead. Well, it, Trump has to do something. If this goes into a war, if Maduro digs his heels in and, and sticks, tries to stick it out, and this goes to war, you got four It'll to be six over million today. people. We destroy them. You still got four to six million people coming to the United States. You, you, it's it's not going to. That's a different type of warfare and different kind of terrain. And and you know you you've got to depend more on. It, it, this you know regime change almost never works but in in this case at least we have the thing that that we haven't had in the past and that this is they can walk to our country it's not overseas it's not in the middle east this has a, a direct result that that will will impact us one way or the other the 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 real solution is to get him to leave on the own, on his own like he was going to do this morning and the russians talked him out of it now, you know, Trump can get on the phone and, and he can probably scare some the shit out of some people and, and maybe get him out in the next day or so. But if this turns into a, into a, a shooting war, it, 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 it's not going to be a day. That's the, the, the urban warfare and in this kind of, of terrain and stuff like that, this is, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not going to be it, it, like, like Desert Storm 1. It's, that's not how it's going to work. And when 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 that happens, those people are going to flee. And Colombia and Peru and a lot of those other countries aren't going to let them in to, into that kind because they can't support them either. So you're going to have a mass migration. You think the border's bad now? If, if this really breaks out in there, so I, I hope oh, to God shit. that Trump does have a plan to get this guy back and, and get him out of there and let this new guy take over in in some kind of governmental formal way that shows the public that this is the government and then things can get back to normal. But if it, it turns into a Middle East type situation, it, it, it the ramifications for this country are, are unbelievable. Well, how, you know, Bill, you, you brought up Russia. How, how would you, you know, describe uh, why Russia is doing what they're doing, just to be malicious and be oppositional to the United States to start problems and play games? No, no. I, one is, is war is profitable. So you, you've got an economy that, that needs the, 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 the monetary part of that, but, but it's also political and geopolitical. So right. they, they have a vested interest in combating us wherever they can, regardless right. of if it's right or wrong. It, it, they're going to take that right. side no matter what. But, you know, there's things that can be done. You, you, kick, you, know, you could put, put some kind of – and I don't know the legalities of it, but let's say that you can't take visa anymore in Russia. Or you can't, yeah. you can't, you know, you're not on the, the – any Russian companies that are based in, in outside of the United States get taken off the stock market. 
So there are ways to put put the screws to them that, that Trump probably knows better than I do. But Russia is is has been a combatant. They're they're a passive aggressive combatant, and they have been for the last fifty years. And and if you don't punch them in the nose, and I don't mean starting a war with them, but you have to knock a guy back on his heel sometimes before he looks at you and goes, well, maybe I don't want to do this. And and yeah. that's what we have to do with them. Same thing with Cuba. No, yeah, same thing. Cuba is an easier thing. Just say, look, we're gonna not only we're we gonna boycott everything in your country, we'll just surround your damn island, and nothing's gonna come in and go out. <laughs> and you figure it out on your own while we, while we surround you, and you can't do nothing. What are you gonna do? Send the Russians in after us? Yeah, I mean, very very good point. Uh, I do want to welcome. Uh, ISIS escapee, radical Islam expert, activist, and best-selling author, IQ Al-Razuli. IQ, what are your thoughts on all this? The single reason why Maduro is able to continue to be in power is because the people of Venezuela are unarmed. A perfect example for Americans, never to let the left destroy the Second Amendment, never, ever allow themselves to be unarmed. That's my contribution. Back to you. I hear you. Very well said. I want to go to Mike Peters in New York. Mike Peters, I know you've got thoughts. Go ahead, buddy. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Uh, there's a couple of things. Rory, I agree with you a, a million percent about this, and I have no doubt that Trump has some sort of a, a plan, but he's approaching it not as a politician, I bet you, as much as, as a businessman. And number one, you're looking at Venezuela, which, what was it, 10 years ago? They were rated number 10, 10th highest in the world. For production of uh, it was two million four hundred thousand barrels of, of oil a day, yep. per day. So I mean, so do you want to lose having the ability to have a neighbor? It's pretty close to us still. You're right. Everybody's right. This is close enough to us where, and you want to lose the ability to have that as an ally and let the Chinese and the Russians start and the Cubans and everybody else and their brother. Sure, they're going to be knocking on the doors because they know the resources that country has. So business-wise, business decision, that would be like you having a store and you're going to allow the place across the street to stay open for rent and maybe have your competitor come in and open up? No. You're going to go over and you're going to rent that store out to make sure your competitor doesn't get in. That's business. And as a businessman, I have no doubt, I agree with you, that he's got a plan for this. Now, as far as the weapons and everything, if everybody thinks back, number one, the thing about uh, it not being like the war in in the Middle East or Vietnam, I've had people say, well, if we send troops in, it'll end up like another thing like Vietnam. We're going to lose. There's going to be insurgents. You can't compare it to that. The people in Venezuela did not grow up with generations putting up with atrocities and bombings and napalming and war and villages being massacred. And I mean, you know, there were insurgents that were revolutionaries and everything, but the scale that we saw of what, of what Saddam did or what, what happened in Iraq and, and uh, Afghanistan with the Russians and Vietnam with, between the French and us and everything else that went on. These people weren't trained in that. They're not, they don't, if something happened and the shit hit the fan, they'd be in their basements hiding. They took, do you remember them showing pictures where they were arming their militia to get ready for the American invasion? Do you remember the rifles they were handing out? Mosin Nagants, 9130s from World War II? What? Both actions? And we were all looking at some of the mismatched junk that they were handing out to their people, saying, yes, we're going to have a, the militia is going to rise up and do what? Parade around and with bolt action? What, you're going to take on the U.S. military with a bolt action. Good luck, dude. Let me know how that works out. 
So uh, it's if it, if it was a battle, it's going to be like Granada, man. It'll be like really short and sweet. It won't last long, and I don't think they have the fight in them. Right? And I think a lot of the people would be relieved to see America come in there and say. We want it back to what we did where we had an economy that was working. We had money in our pockets. You think we want the Russians or the Cubans coming in here telling us? I lived in Vail, Colorado for two years in 1979. You know how many millionaire Venezuelans used to come up there? It was a running joke. Skiing with their families, going into yep. shops and buying the, the finest that they could. Money was no problem. Now we're seeing them getting crushed in the streets and they don't have to be going through garbage cans. I'm, I think they'd want us back. So, anyway, those are my feelings. It's an, it's insanity. It really is. Um, Daryl King, you always got a <clears throat> great insight on things. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, so I want to correct myself earlier. It's Bill in Texas, and it's Mike in New York. So, greetings to both of you gentlemen. Excellent points, as <laughs> always. And, uh, yeah, for, forgive me on that, but good to hear both of your voices. Uh, yeah, I'm always very impressed with Mike Pompeo. He speaks with tremendous clarity and authority. Um, this is a situation where, you know, I, I don't really want to add too much to what they're saying. Uh, he has access to the necessary intelligence uh, far, far more so than, than I could. I mean, I, I would sort of, I guess my, my contribution to this conversation would just be to, um, to, to add a little bit of caution, you know, about this. And, and certainly this does seem like a, a fairly, a fairly clear-cut situation that we're looking at, but but nevertheless, there is the reality that that these regime changes, you know, they, these these expeditions do not work out well for the United States historically, um, and I think that the difference here is that that there should be a global consensus on this, and I think that you know this is a situation where organizations like NATO and the United Nations, I think it's time for them to really take the lead. I, I don't think that the United States should be acting unilaterally in this or, or even, you know, taking, taking ownership of it. This, this should be something that if these global communities are worth anything, they should be heavily involved in this. If Russia is simply meddling over business influences, they should be isolating them and, and doing the same thing with Cuba. I think the concerns raised are very valid about uh, you know, the migration that might occur from these conflicts. And that's one of the things that doesn't get talked about, about the all of the disastrous foreign policy from, you know, the, the Bush administration and, and all of those expeditions is that, that that directly, I mean, not only was that just a disaster for us in the immediate sense, but that created so much instability in that region. And, and that actually was one of the triggering factors of that, of the migration crisis. So that directly led to, uh, you know, millions of Arab migrants arriving in Europe in the following years. So there are things to be, um, other factors to be aware of, unintended consequences. I trust this administration. Uh, I hope that they're making the appropriate calculations regarding that. As I said, you know, Mike Pompeo I, he speaks with tremendous clarity and authority, and I think that that's very good. But uh, I also think that we want to be cautious and we want to be making sure that uh, other nations are, are carrying their water uh, in this regard as well. Very well said. Um, Kevin, let's go to you. Go ahead, Kevin. 
Oh, yeah. So I just have to echo what Daryl said. Uh, absolutely. And uh, nothing says uh, good old America like overthrowing other countries that just had a democratic election. I mean, this is something that we should not really be engaged in, at least, even physically, uh, because we're really at war or saber rattling with Russia, our, one of our biggest opponents, and could quite possibly create a World War Three scenario. I think that's absolutely not worth the stress and the struggle. And so let's not delude ourselves in the sense that this is all because of socialism and this is all because of Maduro as a dictator. I mean, he was, he was elected to power, and the reason why um, it's an economic game is because 95% of Venezuela's revenues come from their oil, of course. Well, they are very well nationalized, uh, their, their oil, and it, it's, uh, it's basically taking – those revenues away from big business. And so how do these international community respond to this? They say, oh, it's undemocratic. Oh, he's a, he's a dictator and a tyrant, and he must be taken down. We, we must do this for democracy. Well, they're not really supporting democracy because, you know, if he were to step down, it would be his vice president that would take over, not his uh, party opponent, uh, Guaido. He, he would not be the one that takes over. So what was in the plan since uh, he had taken power he, um, from the United States and other entities of the West? Well, we had been economically sanctioning them uh, incredibly uh, much, so much. And uh, if you notice, they are completely cut off from the economic uh, financial markets, and it's really hurting entirely their imports. They're not able to get basic staples and necessities, and the reason why Maduro has the support that he does is because the people are saying, hey, nothing's coming into our country. This is really making us pretty mad. And uh, it's, it's a real problem because uh, the West is being told it's entirely because of socialism. We know how bad socialism is, but if we let socialism play out and so people could actually see what socialism does, uh, then I, I think that would be a, a much stronger uh, statement than just uh, struggling, uh, strangling this country. Uh, because there's a lot of death going on, and it's seriously causing a humanitarian catastrophe. And so uh, what's Trump saying right now, we're going to uh, even heavily uh, sanction them more. We're going to sanction Venezuela. Um, I, I like uh, protectionism. That, that's great. Um, but uh, it's not because of Maduro's dictatorship necessarily uh, that the economy is going to ruin. Um, there's, there's a lot more going on. No, I hear awesome it. I mean, there are definitely – Awesome points. Yeah, there def there definitely is a lot going on. Uh, Gianni in New York. Gianni, go ahead. Yeah, I just got on, but from what I heard, we're talking about uh, Venezuela. Yeah, it's it's a you know it's a very very sad uh, sad issue. But for me, <clears throat> this kind of brings me to the whole um, the you know Second Amendment. I mean, in 2012, yeah. if you look look at the facts, Chavez made it be banned, you know, private ownership of uh, weapons or guns. Yep. And now even MSNBC, I was watching earlier, is admitting that, hey, if they don't have guns, guess what? They don't have power. So now you got military tanks, you know, running over their own people, you know, and how are the Venezuelans going to defend themselves now? I really don't. And, and I think America really needs to take that serious. I think everybody, whether you're liberal, Democrat, conservative republican you need to see this is why our founding fathers gave us the ability to you know own rifles to have a second amendment it's not about hunting it's about protecting ourselves and our communities and our families 
from any uh, uh, tyrannical government. And I feel like that that's going to really be a big thing that Trump could push in 2020 when it comes to the whole, you know, gun control argument and things of that nature. Say, hey, look at Venezuela. You know, they had their guns banned. All private gun ownership in 2012 was banned by Chavez. And now you see what's going on where they can't defend themselves now. You know, so I think it, it's, a, it's a sad issue, man. And being a Latino, you know, it's very hard for me to watch, you know, uh, the people go through that, you know, but I, I'm, I'm praying for them. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's it really is. It's uh, it's heartbreaking what's going on over there. Um, everybody, I uh, do want to go to a commercial real quick, and we will uh, be right back. Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far that mixes the smoky with the sass of the South? Combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country. For savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new Bacon Smokehouse Burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back. The Rory Sodder Show, listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our new media site, the Next NEX. Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. And everybody, don't forget, in the coming weeks, I will be announcing uh, details about the not- many notable people that will be doing uh, shows on our, on our new network. So that's very exciting stuff, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. Um, I do, I do want to get into um, a very important topic, and, you know, everybody's been talking about it. It's been the, it's been the center of the news for the last day or two. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, the, the leader of Islam has resurfaced. There were many um, reports uh, that uh, many thought he was dead, many thought he was gone. Uh, you know, he was, he was obviously hidden for a very long time. And uh, just as ISIS is about to be defeated, 
here here pops out this guy. So it's it's interest it's really interesting times and you know, I don't know a lot about this, but who does is IQ. And IQ, I want to ask you details about this guy and, and what this means for the future of ISIS and, and terrorism and Islam. Al-Baghdadi, Al-Baghdadi is like all cowardly Muslim leaders throughout Muslim history, starting with Muhammad 1,400 years ago. For those listening who most probably think I'm exaggerating, I shall be sending the article proving my conclusions about what a spineless leader Muhammad was, based entirely on the Islamic sources, to Rory for publication on his site. Al-Baghdadi sent tens of thousands of Muslims to their death to fulfill his warped vision of the Islamic Caliphate. He also and his supporters associated the slaughter of Christians in Sri Lanka because of the alleged, no, because of the massacre of 50 Muslims in New Zealand is pure bullcrap, ladies and gentlemen, because the reason for all Muslim jihad for the last 1,400 years has been because we non-Muslims kuffar infidels exist, and unless we submit to Sharia, we shall be exterminated. Any other excuse is irrelevant and a red herring. Dear Americans, please, please digest the following. It is impossible. And I repeat, impossible for any Sharia-compliant Muslim to be both a good Muslim and a loyal citizen among non-Muslims kuffar infidels. Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Linda Sarsour, and others in political and other powers in the USA are the most perfect examples of such Muslims. As usual, I dare anyone to prove my comments wrong or untrue, based entirely on the Islamic sources and Islamic history. He exists, he came back to the TV to show that he is still a leader, but a leader of what? He was controlling hundreds of thousands of square miles in Syria and Iraq. Now he doesn't have more than a few kilometers, square kilometers. All it is, al-Baghdadi represents Islam. Any other excuse to say that he is an extremist is Again, bullcrap. Al-Baghdadi is the truest Muslim. ISIS is the most perfect Islamic entity. Anyone disagree with me? Back to you, gentlemen. Okay, I want to I wanna go to Mike Peters. Mike Peters, I know you're fascinated by this topic, uh, you know, just the whole Muslim culture. <coughs> you know, they are a, a disgrace, you know, just with their ideology. And, you know, I'm in agreement with a lot, a lot of what you say. Uh, about this you know, uh, topic as you well. You know something? So, I'm 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 a little biased because I'm uh, IQ. There are a lot of great people in the Middle East. There are a lot of people, I mean, I am. There are. There are. My heritage is great. The only problem is, to me, Islam is an abomination. It, it was never. Uh, it was never. You're cutting out, a little, you're cutting out a little bit, Mike. Okay. Christianity was, was updated over the years, and we made changes of it to fit the errors that we were in and everything else and everything. But this, what, what Islam has done to these people and created the fanatics, and it's been allowed to sit there, I mean, I have no use for any of that bullshit. I just, I have, and, and Baghdadi, what he represents, I agree with everything IQ said. Now, one thing that I think is interesting is that Trump is moving to uh, designate the Muslim Brotherhood as foreign terrorist organization. Now, if he does that, 
I think it would be fantastic because, number one, uh, Representative Omar and whatever else, whatever uh, some of these other the other women, I don't even want to know their names. Whoever any of these, these Muslim women are that are in Congress or anybody in politics anywhere in the United States, working in state senates or anything else, that have supported the Muslim Brotherhood, and come out openly and supported them. If they're designated a terrorist organization now, we're going to have issues. We're going to be able to label the enemies of this country a lot easily. Uh, the media is not going to work with that, of course. But I think I'd like to see that done and label them for what they are. Stop allowing them to get away with manipulating language and to, to hide behind the curtain so the American public doesn't understand them or see them. Like that thing about, uh, what's her name, Hillary, saying, well, Easter worshipers. They couldn't even say Christians. They couldn't even do it. They called them Easter worshipers. Uh, enough with the semantics and the playing games with the language and relabeling and everything. We've had enough of their bullshit. And uh, so I, I think Baghdadi... Uh, I think he's done. I think he's wrapped up. He's desperate. For him to come forward like this, I think he's lost a lot of credibility and he lost a lot of following, just like IQ said. So I agree. I think, uh, and people are starting to realize it. I think his days are done. And it's a matter of time before we find him and his head ends up on a a mantle somewhere as well. Um, Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Very, very well said. Um, Let me go to, I want to go to Eric. Eric, I want to go to you because, uh, you know, you've been over there. You've seen firsthand what goes on in these places. You know, you, you were uh, in war over there. So what, what can you tell us? What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I, I'm going to be like uh, – I'm pretty, I'm pretty straightforward with Islam. I've been to Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, Turkey. You know, I've been around a lot of them. I've been chased by uh, uh, some, some Islam, you know, some Islamists. So, um I personally believe, and, and people are going to disagree with me, but I believe a fundamentalist in Islam would be ISIS, would be someone who reads the Quran and the Hadith and lives them out, just like right? with Saudi Arabia, a lot of conservatives say they're a great ally, but they just killed 37 more you know, Shias um, because they didn't like their the way they functioned under Sharia. So. I, I, I'm of the belief that if somebody follows uh, Muhammad's teachings and they live it practically and they live by the fundamentals of Islam, that, that it is impossible for them to live peaceably with infidels. And you'll see it as they grow in populations in London, in Paris, in Sweden, and Denmark. As they grow in number, there's always, let's say only 10% of them are fundamentalists. There's 1.4 billion of them. That means there's about fundamentalists that believe in Sharia law and how globally as they grow. When you, said, when you said how many you yeah, are now? Let's say only 10% of Islam is fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And there's 1.4 billion of them. That's one. That's 140 million people that want a global caliphate. And their instructions yeah. is to die, is take over the world for Muhammad. So we, we don't like it in the West. You notice a lot of the growth is in the West because we want to deny that human beings would follow their religious edicts to the point of cutting people's heads off and rejoicing in it. But the reality is if you go back to Muhammad, all of 700 AD and follow it through, if it wasn't for the French, they would have taken over Europe back in 800, 900. And here we are again, and so we're allowing them in the country. They go into poor areas like Somalia and, and other parts of Africa, and they recruit Boko Haram, and, and then we bring them over here, and we say, go to Minneapolis, and you can bring over your family members, and you can have Sharia. 
And I'm just telling you right now, if toddle this and, and be in denial, then down the road as because there's large pockets of non-assimilated cultures, they really don't care from India and China and Indonesia and other places if our Second Amendment was to be taken away. The thing is, if that's taken away and we go to Marxism and then you have the growth of Sharia Islam, I would hate to see 100 years from now, I would hate to be somebody living in a progressive state with the growth of Sharia Islam under Marxism. And it's a horrific thing that I can't even see in a movie. So I know that 90% or so people that go to mosque are not going to do anything. But if 10% are, and their numbers are enormous, and they're growing because of chain migration in the United States and Brooklyn, Minneapolis, Dearborn, Michigan, Houston. Yeah. We have to have this discussion, and it's not popular, and it, and it makes people angry at me. But I've been you know, going around Jordan. They're nice people, but when we were in Aqaba, you know, we were in Istanbul. They were still hitting my wife on the shoulder for not covering her face. And there was a tension you could feel in, in, in Istanbul. So when you get around them and you feel this tension, you, you start to feel out of control a little bit. And as they get larger numbers in the U.S., I, I just think we're, I think we're in for some tough days. Uh, just like out here where a guy, or a military veteran can I mean, almost instantaneously was going to go blow up thousands of people in California. So why did he get those instructions from? He got those instructions from the Quran, the Hadith, and the other people in the fundamental side of Islam. And so... There's, I, don't think, I don't think Islamophobia is applied to when you're dealing with fundamentalists in Islam because they do want to hurt you. So I don't think it's an unnatural fear of somebody whose instructions in a religion that means submission. And if you're submitting to Allah's will, and Allah's will is that all people should be Muslims, and that infidels need to be coerced into faith, and if not, then they need to die, then we just have to hundred years and say this is how it looks and we've seen the movie and with it and have open discussions with peaceful Muslims or we can because the, the bad daddy over there I mean it, ISIS is just a it's just a grouping of fundamentalists and yes we've been able to isolate them and crush them but it hasn't slowed the it hasn't changed one word in the Quran what we've done to ISIS and so I, I just think we've got to have this, the more discussions about this. Very true. Very true. You're absolutely right. Um, I want to go to uh, Gianni. Gianni, I know you have many thoughts about this. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, uh, one of your guests brought up uh, Brooklyn. You know, I, I've, I've seen the change in Brooklyn a lot because, see, I'm from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, so – I grew up with a bunch of Irish people, Irish and Jewish people. And slowly but surely, I'm seeing more, you know, Muslims come around the area. Now, not that I'm scared because New York City has always been known to have Muslims. But I've been seeing how a lot of people, a lot of the middle class people, you know, because of taxes and these things of that nature, a lot of people from New York City and New York in general are moving to Florida, you know, Texas, North Carolina, Arizona, and now you're starting to see the Muslim population move into the neighborhood. And now what's going on is 
you have where it used to be where you had a three, four bedroom house, you know, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Now it's starting to be two level homes. So now you have one family on the bottom and you have another family on the top. And now if you look at after after this call, if you look up Bay Ridge, Brooklyn and the rise of crime, you will see that the more Muslims that's been in here, the more it's been dangerous to even go in the neighborhood. The more you've seen, you know, this um, um, fundamental type mentality in these areas. And I'm very fearful that we have Bill de Blasio, you know, a nutcase for mayor. And I'm really fearing that he might do some kind of Canada stuff and, you know, like in Paris with the no-go zones. Because I've been seeing this for a lot, and I've been seeing that, you know, a lot of people, because of these attacks, you know, like the New Zealand attack, and they're going to try to use that and say, well, we don't want any bad people going in and shooting up, you know, these mosques and things of that nature. So we're going to protect that area for them. So I'm very fearful about what's going to happen in New York City and especially in Brooklyn. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, uh, Doc, uh, let's go to let's go, to, go Daryl. Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, well, Gianni, that's that's pretty wild. I, I uh, my family's from uh, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, as well. I was I was in I was there over the weekend visiting uh, a, a relative right across from uh, Cannonball oh, Park, wow. and yeah, and I'm a, I'm a former Hollywood guy too, so we got a couple things in common. But uh, great point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so many great points everyone has already made on this, and I think an important thing to note about Islam, and I and I this is something I'm a little bit. Because I, I have friends that are Islamic, and I know them to be to be good people. There, there is a reality yeah. to the religion that does need to be need to be spoken about. And when you look historically, uh, you do see that it, when when Islam spreads, it spreads very quickly. I mean, it, it comes out of nowhere, and it sort of it catches you off. And, and we we could very easily be in the midst of something where you know it just even as we talk about this, it almost like it feels like it's not real. It, it, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have that, but like, I, I don't this really feel that Europe, uh, you know, could somehow be Islamic, and yet it, it very easily could be that in, in in ten or twenty years, and it's it's a remarkable thing to think about, and it needs to be addressed. And as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, what is happening with Islam? This is this is a when when you look at patterns of history, and, and some of this is even some of this is biblical. I mean, and am I? No, I, this I, is what happens when, when, Okay. Yeah, this is what happens when, when male leadership retracts and faith and male leadership. And the antidote to Islam uh, in Western nations is Christianity. Okay. We need to restore our Christian faith as Christian nations. Yep. And from that, Definitely. we need to restore our families and our male, our male leadership. The only way that we're going to survive this is if we assert our identity as Christian nations. And that may be something that makes some people a little bit uncomfortable or makes them squirm, but that is the reality. That is who we are, and if we retract that and if we run away from that, historically it is only a matter of time before a, a neighboring patriarchal cult comes in and takes over. You know, This has happened many times in history where they want to go off into matriarchal goddess cult utopia and they have some little 10 to 20 year orgy and then you know they're they're brutally invaded decades later by by the neighboring cult and that is precisely what is going to happen here if we don't do what needs to be done and and i think it's something that i would introduce to this topic and we we all accept the premise that 
France could somehow democratically vote in Sharia law. You know, we understand that, that democracy allows that. So I would counter and say, would, what about the idea of democracy voting for Christian theocracy? Uh, why, don't, why don't we think about something like that? I think that's an interesting idea. Rather than just accepting what the opposition could do to us, maybe we think about what the inverse of that might look like, and we start organizing, organizing around ideas like that. Back to you, Rory. Very well said, Daryl, and, and, I, and I agree with you. Absolutely. I want to go – let's go to Bill. Bill in Texas, go ahead. Well, Eric's right. There, it's a it's a 140 million man army that that wants a caliphate, and and it's not just that, but you have 30 percent of the other part of the population that will be supportive of that 10 percent, and then you're going to have another the rest of you're you're going to have the rest of it who are going to be passive about it, and you're only going to have one percent of Muslims that stand up and combat it, and and that's the problem. It, 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 we all can't keep focusing on who's pulling the trigger, but it, it, it's not that. It, it's the ideology. The only way for, for – they have to dominate the world, and the infidel has to be eliminated. There cannot be any more. You know, it, it's not a surreal thing. They've been killing people in that war for 1,400 years, and it, it, it's just now bleeding over into our nations, but it was the same thing – Back then was is, is like they, like Saudi Arabia killing because they don't like a certain way that they practice Sharia or things like that. If you don't conform conform to that extreme fundamentalistic view of how the Quran is written and what it means in a literal sense, then then you are subject to that same kind of treatment. So there is no working with it. There is no no. Getting around it, there there has never been in, in since its its inception peaceful coexistence with it, and that's what we're faced with. And people have to wake up to that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Doctor Branch. Doctor Branch, go ahead. You know, I I'd like to start off by saying, you know, I want I want to echo what Daryl has said. Uh, night after night, it's an honor to be on this show with this panel. What a great group of minds, and I really do appreciate it. A lot has been said. What, I, what, what I'd like to add to the conversation is two things that we have seen. First of all, last week you had a guest on from Canada, um, and, and, an yeah. activist. Christine. Yeah, Christine. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, Christine has been, is, was amazing. And, you know, she brought a perspective in, and one of the perspectives is she can't even speak her mind in her own country, in Canada. Yeah. Now, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the news today, but Canada, they want to arrest this father for not calling his transgender daughter son. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that, and that's, that's what's happening. Now, you see in our country, you know, people that believe in Canada's laws. People believe in Venezuela's laws on getting rid of guns. You have a presidential candidate out there from California that even talks about, well, sure, that's right. Your war would be very brief because we have nukes. Talking about even nuking our own population. So to me, although it may seem insurmountable, that we could ever fall for this or to this, 
The reality is it's happening. Not that we're falling for it, but we're changing the laws as such to potentially take away our First Amendment rights of freedom of speech. That's what Canada already did. They don't have freedom of speech up there. Take away our Second Amendment rights to own guns. That is what many of the presidential candidates on the left are running for today. Yep. And to me, yep. that has to be alarming. You know, all the guests have said some really amazing things, what's happening, and, and I really like Eric's input on that by, you know, talking about his, you know, journey around, uh, first of all, thanks for your service, but your journey around the Middle East, because you have brought up the point, and I know, um, you know, IQ has brought this up many, many times, it is those that are pr practicing the idea, those that are practicing the Sharia law. See, when you come into the United States, there's an assumption that this is a melting pot. However, no one's, you know, the, the, that culture is bringing in their own governor, government rather, which is Sharia law. And to me, that has to be alarming. We can say, well, it never will happen. And people say we're conspiracy nuts, but the reality is you take away the First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, you take away our Second Amendment rights, you have a government that can actually run over us in the middle of the road. That's all I have to say on this topic. Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. Um, Beautiful let's go, let's comment, go to Kevin. Dr. Bridge. Kevin. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, Islam is absolutely a world threat. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It spreads like a cancer, for lack of a better term. And uh, the only nice thing I could say about Islam at this point is that at least you never see any communist uh, coalitions uh, within Islam. It's, they don't like any of that uh, leftist values that uh, is plaguing our society right now. And I, I bring this up because uh, even though that the left is so uh, argent, argent about having these uh, Muslims come in, uh, these Muslims don't have the same values as they do, and we we see this a lot in the UK where they're teaching all these perverse uh, like sexualizing of children and the homosexual community yep. and putting it in schools. But it's actually the Muslims are they're very uh, they don't want any of that whatsoever. And although these Western governments don't listen to their own people. Um, oftentimes they will listen to these Muslim communities and say, okay, well, actually, we, we can't do this around these people's presence. Otherwise, it's going to get really crazy. Um, so mm -hmm. there is at least a, some good that can be found out of this. But uh, to get more on a, a grim note, uh, there are <clears throat> many different factions of the, this Muslim community, ranging from relatively moderate to absolutely <laughs> apopulistic, uh, very uh, – some scary ideologies, of course. And so essentially I can narrow it down to the uh, Shiites, the Sunnis, the Wahhabists, and then these very extremist uh, uh, ISIS types. And so essentially what I'm getting at here is that the Shiites have relatively been not very into terrorizing uh, within our own nations. Uh, because what you see within the Shiite community is uh, within Iraq, in Iran, um, in Syria, um, although, of course, there's plenty of statistics um, of crime that they commit, of course, but 
uh, relative to the Sunni and Wahhabist population, it's not that bad. Uh, and the reason why I bring this up is because uh, Trump had deemed the Iranian um, what is it called? Uh, the revolutionary uh, coalition. Uh, what is it called again? Revolutionary Guard, that's it. Uh, they named the Revolutionary Guard uh, a terrorist organization, but throughout its history, this organization was not um, responsible for any terrorist attacks, which is really strange because we know plenty of organizations that are responsible for terrorist attacks. And I think that there's this uh, skewed opinion um, against these uh, Shiite groups when it should be more skewed towards these uh, you know, more extremist groups that are actually within our, our country. You see this uh, tremendously within especially uh, Minnesota, and as you can see, popping up a lot in New York and even around our southern border. We had a, a massive compound of these people um, that were training their children for school shootings, and uh, it was absolutely swept under the rug by the, the, the FBI and uh, the news didn't pick up on it. It's, it's a very scary situation where there's actual compounds of terrorists uh, that are within our country and nothing's being done about it. And I think that there's some blame being thrown at kind of the wrong groups. So uh, I, I hope there's a lot more effort put into finding the right people and especially restricting our immigration so this doesn't fester into such a cancerous problem like it is right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very well said. Um, Eric, you wanted to respond. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of go over some things. Like when I lived in Dallas, um, I, I lived in Fort Worth, but Dallas, Islam was setting up something called Islamic tribunals in Dallas, and they tried to set one up in Irving. So instead of doing Sharia courts, this nonprofit group of imams, and uh, they, they're setting up courts that are quote-unquote voluntary, where the, the Muslims can go and get adjudicated their disagreements with other people in the community instead of going to a constitutionally uh, sanctioned courts that we would go to. And then that's growing. And then you go to Brooklyn right now, there's an article from the New York Times that they've, uh, a nonprofit private group has set up, they're called Muslim Community Patrols, C or MCPs. They're to, they are going around Brooklyn, and they are a pseudo-police force to try to instill discipline in the community. So not only will you see a police car coming around, you will see an MCP car coming around. And then you see cases all over the United States, San Diego, Houston, all over, where they're introducing Islam, putting burqas on the girls, like for, you know, just for a tolerance day. So they're using this fear of intolerance to, to teach uh, expanded religion classes in the schools where they have to write down the pillars of Islam. So they're, they're getting more and more able to advance their religious teachings and cultures in the schools as they are setting up these tribunals in Texas as they are also in Dearborn, and now they've got their own uh, non-binding police force starting in Brooklyn and other cities patrolling the communities. And that's where Nation of Islam has been growing, has been in the projects and in the prisons, as they grow by, by instilling discipline into these people's uh, messed up lives, and they say, well, Christianity has failed. Why don't you try Islam? So the, the thing about progressives and Islam, and somebody said something earlier, and it's interesting. Hitler actually worked with Islam 
to go after the Jews. So there was a there was this Marxism crazy Hitler along with his own platoon of Muslim fighters that were working together for one common goal of destroying the Jewish race. So uh, you'll, you'll, it's not too uncommon to see even in Russia and other communist states and countries to see Islam. And it, it, it's, it's able to, because it, it doesn't interfere with the growth of communism. It has its own rules and closed culture. So it's growing in America and it's growing systematically. Um, I was at a church um, one time in, in Fort Worth and there was a guy that was speaking his brother actually is the one that's responsible for setting up mosques in, in parts of America where there are currently no Muslims to tie up the real estate. And, that, and during his uh, time speaking from the pulpit, someone went up to his wife and said, if he doesn't shut up, we will kill you. And they left the church. And they turned pure white. And these are, these are people from the Middle East in fear because how did they know that he was going to be speaking from Minneapolis in a church in Texas, and they still found him to tell him to shut up. So you'll see mosques being built around America where there currently isn't any Muslims to use the facility. And when I was in the West Bank, I was in Bethlehem in Israel a couple of years ago, and there was a brand-new, beautiful mosque. And I asked, I said, how can these poor people pay for it? And they said, Saudi Arabia built it. And so Saudi is expanding in all these places, bringing in the money as we are allies with them, and they're buying our arms. You know, so I'm just saying that there, there's a structure to the growth of Islam globally, just like there's a structure of globalism and the progressives, and the things they have in common is they don't, they're relentless. They keep pushing. Look in America. They push through getting God out of schools, getting prayer out of schools, divorce for any reason abortion and now we got hate speech laws and then we've got you know going after the first amendments and and then the pressure on christians to shut up and that we're now bad people and white privilege and they keep pushing over 50 years look what they've done to us as progressives and the church has gone weak and gone and gone uh, terrible on doctrine and they've departed from biblical teachings as islam's growing so it's a time for us to rise up and say either we want traditional America, or we're going to be in a splintered, dysfunctional-looking, anemic European Union that our country will morph into with non-segregated states, and, and, and it, can only, it can only go either really bad or it can go to restoration, but nothing, nothing lukewarm ever looks good, and that's kind of what a lot of people I'm talking to are more comfortable with. Let's just kind of let things slow down. And we really don't want to be too hard on immigration because that would look like we're anti-immigrants. And we really don't want to speak out against Islam because there are nice Muslims. And we don't really want to push on the abortion issue because somebody might have got raped. And that's why you look at America and we don't seem to have any mooring and any rudder. And we're just flopping around. And because progressives and Islam are focused, they're the ones making the inroads. Uh, very, very well said. Absolutely. I want to. I want to go to IQ. IQ. I want to. I want you to have the final thoughts on this, and then we got to take a quick commercial. The bottom line is very simple. Everybody was talking about it. They are all correct, but also being politically correct, it is impossible for Muslims to exist with non-Muslims. Impossible. Get it? 
through your culture or thoughts. They are our enemies. They declared their intention to subjugate us or exterminate us 1,400 years ago. And the law in the United States of America and the laws in Europe are all available. If you have a group of people inciting against another group of people, these people cannot be part and parcel of this nation. You have the law. Every single mosque is the indoctrinating center of most more jihadis. Who do you think is teaching them to, to hate us? In the mosque, where? Every Friday, by every imam, in every mosque, in every country on earth. Don't take my word for it, for God's sake. If you Google, just Google, what imams are saying on YouTube, it's mind-blowing. But if you, but Americans are trying to ignore it. Oh, yeah, we have yeah. nice Muslims. They are nice when they are a minority. 100% yeah. guaranteed. But look what's happening in Europe. They are not nice yeah, with their correct. 5% to 10%. And you're having it. You must not allow Sharia to take root. And Sharia starts where? In the mosque. That's my final one. Very well said. Uh, Mike Peters, you had a final thought. Go ahead. Uh, yes. You know, the, the other gentleman, I didn't catch his name. He was absolutely correct about uh, Hitler. But it goes all, there's a lot more in depth about it that uh, I've run into this argument with the liberals is, as many of you know, I've collected World War II military war souvenirs for over 50 years. And I have a fez in my collection that came out of one of the uh, satellite factories outside of Dachau. And it was from the 13th Waffen-SS Hanshar Division, which is a Croatian uh, unit that was created with the help of the Grand Mufti. Um, the Grand Mufti was, what was his name? Haj Amin El Husseini. And I invite anybody that's interested in the subject to show the connection between the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and Hitler and how they used Islam and used the Muslims to create SS divisions uh, to use them against the Jews and anybody else that they wanted. They were allied because Hitler ultimately, he was promising that that whole land would come back to the Palestinians and they were getting volunteers like crazy. They said, well, this is fantastic. So they had Muslims fighting in SS uniforms, but people don't want to admit that and don't want to look into it. It's an interesting study, and it shows a direct connection, but it doesn't fit today's society, so we can't talk about that now, can we? Let's rip down Kate Smith's statue. Yes, that's wonderful. So it's a very interesting study, and I'm glad you brought that up. Very, very well said, yeah. Uh, I do got to take a quick commercial. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Bustler, everybody. Um, yeah, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaceSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Packaging. 
I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people add changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. And we are back, everybody. The Rory Sauter Show worldwide. Listen to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, Past episodes or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, the next N-E-X-G-E-N-U-S-A.com. And don't forget, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people that will be doing their shows on our new network. And uh, we're very excited about that. And in the coming weeks, I will be announcing more and more details. And, uh, yeah, so we're very exciting. I can't wait to share it with all of you. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show a uh, very popular guy, very smart guy, economist, entrepreneur, speaker, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, LiveZet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. How are you? I'm doing well, Rory. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. I've been listening for the last couple of minutes um, about this, uh, discussions about the Muslims. And, You're cutting out uh, a little bit. Yeah. And how they're, uh, they're acting. I kind of have mixed feelings about this. Um, on, on the one hand, uh, um, Every group that has immigrated into the U.S. has uh, assimilated into society. They manage to keep some of their own identity, but they become part of society. The, the, the Muslims, when they come here, they don't do that. They want to keep to their own uh, customs. They uh, keep to themselves, and they don't really uh, assimilate as part of society. They want even to have their own laws and, as we've mentioned, their own courts and things. Now, that's a little bit uh, disturbing and you know, even a little bit frightening because they don't want to become part of society. You start to get uh, some negative feelings uh, towards them uh, for that behavior. <clears throat> also, uh, you take a look at a lot of the terrorist activities, and practically all of them are carried out by uh, people in the name of Islam. Uh, so uh, I, I feel some uh, animosity. Uh, in that regard. On the other hand, um, I've had personal relationships for more than a decade uh, with a number of uh, Muslims. I've co-authored uh, more than a dozen articles uh, with a female uh, from the Kuwait uh, University. Co- hey, Dr. Buss, it, it's a little fuzzy. Can you can you get in a little bit better? Sell it goes in and out. It was, it's weird. It's never happened before with you. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure why. Um, let me. Uh, I don't know if that's better, better now. Or not. Better now. Yeah, way better. Okay. Way better um, now. So I have I have personal relationships, and I've known uh, 
Muslim people for like decades, not really, and they're all very warm and friendly people. Uh, so it seems to me there's a little bit of a, um, a split between uh, the people that I've met and on a personal basis and then the ones you read about uh, and how the Muslims don't assimilate into society. So uh, I've got kind of a, a, a mixed bag on how I feel toward all this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I hear you on that. Absolutely. And that, that makes sense. And, you know, I want to ask you, you know, there, there's various things economically that are going on right now. Um, you yeah. know, we just saw uh, a study that came out. Medicare for all would cost $60 trillion, with a T, over the next decade. And this is what the left's pushing. Can you please specify the dangers and the ramifications if, if, this, if we went down this route and hypothetically a Democrat got elected? They're not going to. We know Trump's going to get reelected, but let's just say hypothetically. Yeah, so um, a Medicare for all system, essentially, you want to turn over uh, what amounts to about one-seventh of the economy uh, completely under government control. Now, wh- when that happens, and proponents will tell you that the U.S. is the only industrialized country in the world that doesn't have some kind of a national uh, health insurance policy, uh, and that's why they, they, they try to push this. Um, on the other hand, uh, what happens when you get a uh, Medicare for all, a single-payer system, uh, is you there's no competition in the marketplace anymore, uh, and the government controls how much things uh, somebody will get paid uh, and what services uh, will be rendered. Uh, you end up um, with a system that uh, ends up going down in, in quality, uh, ends up costing more because there's no incentive really to reduce costs and without competition, um, and the uh, wait times are going to increase significantly. My, my wife is Canadian. Um, I visit Canada very uh, often. Uh, they have a socialized system similar to what a Medicare for all would be. Problems that they have um, really mean that the quality of health care is not good at, at all. I, 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 there, there was an instance, um, my daughter played field hockey in, in college. One of her uh, players was. I don't, I don't know what happened. The connection went out. Ho, ho, he has to call back in. I don't know why, uh, but the phone was acting fuzzy and then it just disconnected. Uh, let's expect his call back in, though. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, Gianni, I'll let you uh, say some thoughts. Do you have anything on your mind? Uh, uh, about the Medicare for All thing? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I sympathize with people, you know, when they say that they, you know, want free health care and stuff like that, but it just doesn't work that way. I'm all about uh, privatizing Healthcare. I believe that we don't need because I think if you look at the, the the three things that are taking and basically rising the debt because see a lot of a lot of people are not talking about the debt right now because if we keep going the way we're going we're going to kick kick this the world off or America the country off the next generation to pay the price so if you look at Medicare Medicaid and Social Security and welfare those are the top four things that are costing us the most money. So that's why I am for uh, privatizing these systems, and I definitely think we need to privatize healthcare 
um, you know, so we can take care of the cost. And also, I, you know, unlike many Republicans, I'm a fan of UBI. I think uh, I was giving, because I think if you've ever heard of, um, uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, It was a a Republican libertarian guy, Milton Friedman. He actually talked Mm -hmm. about this, and he was like, what if we replace these systems like welfare and, um, you know, welfare, you know, Social Security, all this stuff that is, you know, home, uh, you know, given the homelessness and stuff like that. What if we replace that with the universal basic income? Do you think that it would kind of, you know, uh, fix the economy some way? Because we're spending all this money on stuff and even Social Security by 2025. I think they said, I think it was 2025, that we're not going to be able to sustain it. So what are we wasting all this money on for? I mean, and even in Medicare, you know, Medicaid, all this stuff in healthcare, it's a waste of money. So I believe what if we did replace all that stuff and especially healthcare and stuff like that with UBI, do you think that it would definitely create an economic wealth and an economic system that can work? And, you know, if we get sick, we don't have to worry about just the taxpayer paying for it. You know, we can pay for it by our own money. You know, and I believe that that, that that privatizing this stuff and also giving UBI for those moments where, you know, some people don't have the job in order to, you know, pay for their health care. Because it is true. There are some times where people just do not have the money, and I can sympathize with that. And I believe we need to somehow, you know, giving them $1,000 a month will kind of help with those, you know, ideals. But however, giving total free health care to everybody, I mean, that's just totally unrealistic. And they like to also, you know, point to, I think it's Sweden. And But if you think about it, if you study Sweden, Sweden is not a socialist paradise. Their health care, right. most of their health care system, especially their uh, their education, are privatized. They just happen to have a, such a good market that they're able to do extra, you know, for people. And plus, it's a smaller country, too. Uh, than, you know, the United States. But, you know, I'm a big fan of UBI. So Andrew Yang, even though I'm not going to vote for him, obviously, but he brings up a lot of good points. I was watching him in uh, Joe Rogan, and he he brings up a lot of fucking good points, I mean, when it comes to UBI. And I believe that 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 should replace the, the system that we have now of welfare. Yeah, and I hear you. I mean, he is – I'm not going to lie. I mean, he is a smart guy. There's no doubt about that. And you know, I, I'm not – I don't agree with that stance, but I, I can understand how he could present it in certain ways that it would be appealing, appealing to certain audiences. Dr. Bustler, you, you, sorry you got disconnected. I want you to continue your thought and then respond to obviously yeah. what Gianni said. Uh, okay, I hope everybody can can hear me now. I don't know what what happened with the connection yeah. last time, but it got lost. Yeah, much better. Um, much so, better. Um, universal basic income, um, in my view, is not a good idea at, at all. Uh, Milton Friedman was not exactly in favor of that. He favored uh, a negative income tax. And he said, "Look, instead of giving everybody food stamps and uh, welfare, uh, work out a, a system where they get uh, negative, where they get income instead of that. It's a little bit different than universal basic income. Everybody would not uh, qualify for it. The problem with universal basic income, it sounds real good. Give everybody a thousand dollars a month. Well, um, number one, where's that thousand dollars a month going to come from? Well, you're going to have to raise taxes uh, on somebody else uh, to." 
pay for that. So you say, well, the universal basic income will give somebody money to spend, but it's going to take money away from somebody else. So it doesn't really uh, help the economy um, over, overall. The second thing is that uh, in order for the economy to expand, we have a capital-intensive economy today. You need to create capital. Every one of these uh, what we call income transfer programs, you're taking income away from people that earned it and give it to people who, for, for whatever reason, have not earned it. That's what you're doing with universal basic income. Uh, it destroys incentives uh, for people to, to work. When you start to get income uh, without doing anything, you now have a little incentive to, to go out and work. Uh, it also hurts incentives for the upper income earners because what happens is you're going to have to raise their taxes uh, in order to pay for this. And so they're working and get, keeping less of what they earn, so it takes away some of their incentive, and that overall tends to, tends to stagnate the um, economy. So I don't favor any kind of universal basic uh, in, income. Uh, there are better ways uh, to uh, solve some of these social problems rather than give somebody income that they didn't earn. And I think President Trump is doing exactly the, the right thing. Instead of just giving these people income, make sure that the economy is growing. And as the economy is, is growing, it provides opportunity for all people to earn their, their own income. For the last eight months, uh, since uh, the end of last summer, there have been more job openings than there are unemployed people. And that's a result of the Trump economy growing. So now people don't need uh, income that they haven't earned, that is universal basic income. Now they have the opportunity to go out and earn income on, on their own. That ends up helping everybody, and uh, it means that the government doesn't have to tax people uh, in order to raise uh, money to give somebody this universal basic income. So I don't favor that uh, at all. Very well said. And, you know, I want, I want you to continue with the details you were talking about with Medicare for All. And I was explaining on yeah. the show yesterday how I know people with Medicare. And what Medicare is, it's like cattle call. It's like Southwest Airlines. It's like the DMV. It's, it's, and it would cause doctors a lot of friction and problems with doctors. People would lose business. Uh, th that whole industry, the health insurance industry, would go down the pot. And that would not be good. Your thoughts on everything? On this. Yeah, so he, here, when you take a look at it, why, why is it that uh, the Republicans and the Democrats can't uh, agree to what a good health care policy should be? And I think the reason is relatively simple. There's a difference in the priorities of the goals. In other words, when you set up health care policy, what exactly are the goals? Well, you're looking at cost, quality, and coverage. Historically, and the Republican view is, the priority of those three goals should be the highest quality coverage possible, the most reasonable cost, and third, cover as many people as, as you can. The Democrats have reversed that. Their priority is cover as many people as possible, uh, keep the cost as reasonable as you can, and then third goal is improve quality. So as long as we have those differences, it's going to be very difficult for the two to get together. Uh, and the Democratic view of making coverage the number one priority uh, means that the quality of health care for the rest of us will suffer. You know, they bring in numbers. You, you listen to the candidates uh, who say we like uh, health care for all. It will cover or will help uh, 20 million people this, 
It'll help 10 million people do that, and you add it up, and it ends up helping 20, 30, 40 million, and that's that's great. But the problem is the other 180 million of us are going to have to pay for that, and we'll pay for it by having poor quality care, and it'll cost more for us. Competition and keeping it private is definitely the best way to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very well said. And, you know, there's a reason why people pay good, good amounts of money to have good health insurance. You know, they're, everybody – the problem in this country is there's so many people that want to have stuff that they can't have. They can't afford it, and they're jealous. So that's why a lot of people want this free health care. I mean, they want – they feel entitled. You know, they, they feel like the rich owe them something. And it's, it's a sad mentality. It's, it's, a, it's something that is really uh, unfortunate, especially uh, with the way uh, our country, you know, was um, founded upon, the American dream. And, you know, being entitled yeah, and can, wanting free stuff all the time. Go ahead. Yeah. If I can add one more thing, um, it yeah. was also brought up here about how the uh, government budget, of course, we have a deficit problem. Government spending keeps going up. Um, you yeah. take a look at, at the government budget this year, the federal government will spend $4.4 trillion this, this year. Yeah. Of that total, yeah. about 60% of it, $2.7 trillion, is for these entitlement programs. That is Medicare, Medicaid, Jeez. and Social Security will account for about 60% of spending. Now, you throw on a national health insurance or Medicare for all onto that, and government spending has got to go up significantly. Uh, and if we were dealing, trying to deal with a budget deficit problem, uh, we saw that uh, if you try to raise taxes to get out of it, as uh, President Obama tried to do, uh, it ends up stagnating the economy. Uh, so we see the importance of keeping uh, tax rates uh, low so that the um, economy ca- can grow. So if you're going to put in this Medicare for all, this entitlement spending is going to go through the roof. It'll stagnate the economy, and you uh, see what happens in the extreme conditions uh, with these socialistic economies. They tend to end up in very bad economic position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely they do. Um, I want to ask you uh, in detail about this infrastructure bill that uh, President Trump agreed to with uh, Nancy and Chuck and that it seems to be a bipartisan thing. Uh, both sides seem happy. So how how, how can you uh, explain yeah. this, describe this? <laughs> well, um, the America's infrastructure is crumbling. Uh, we have all kinds of problems with roads and bridges and even going uh, beyond that. So it needs yep. to be fixed. They both, they've agreed to spend uh, $200 billion a year over the next 10 years. That's $2 trillion. Um, now, they, they've agreed to do that. What they haven't agreed with yet is how they're going to fund that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple things been thrown around. The Democrats uh, say, look, the uh, gasoline tax, the federal gasoline tax, about 18 cents a gallon, and it's been that way since the mid-1990s, I believe. Uh, they would like to put a tax on gasoline. Uh, I think they want to add another 10 or 15 cents to that, and that will help uh, pay for that. Uh, President Trump is not a raise your taxes kind of person, uh, so he's going to probably come up with some other way to do this. Uh, So the idea of spending money on infrastructure, and that's really more of an investment, uh, because as you rebuild the infrastructure, it allows 
uh, the economy to operate more efficiently, and that's a good thing. Um, but you can't uh, continue to add to deficit spending and the budget deficit and the public debt. Um, so they're going to have to figure out a way to do this and uh, figure out a way to pay for it, too. Uh, that's where I think we're going to run into uh, some, some of the arguments. Uh, both sides uh, don't have a problem generally with spending money, uh, but figuring out a way to where you're going to get the money to spend, you're going to have differences and a lot of uh, disagreements. But the basic concept of the bill is good. Fix the infrastructure. They want to include the electric grid um, and a few other things in there, and that, that makes a lot of sense, providing we can figure out a way to pay for it that doesn't increase the budget deficit. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I want to get one more uh, thought from you, and then I want to get everybody's opinion. But, uh, you know, uh, regarding uh, this article that was out, uh, it was either today or yesterday, but the Pentagon approves $7.4 million for, for illegals to eat, for illegals. We're, we're feeding illegals, but we can't even fund uh, certain things for our own people. How do, how do, you, how do, you, describe, how do you explain that? I'll tell you, it is extremely difficult. And if you look at um, all of the people coming into the country now, and, and it's really gotten out worldwide, that if you can get across the uh, border and into the U.S., they're, they're not going to do anything to you. They'll catch you and they'll release you and they'll give you a court date to come back. Could be five, six, eight years into the future. Uh, more than 90% of the people don't come back anyway. Um, so with all those uh people immigrating into the country, uh, the, the government has to treat them humanely. If they don't, the, the Democrats will start saying the Republicans throw them in cages and separate their children. So you have to treat them humanely. And it turns out um, that humanely means they get treated better than uh, a lot of people in the U.S. that are living in uh, poverty conditions. So I don't think there's any real way to justify spending all that money on non-citizens uh, when you have so many citizens that really need uh, that that funding. Uh, the whole immigration problem continues to be uh, a difficult and growing problem um, because the two sides, the Republicans and Democrats, have much different views on how the problem should be solved. Really not much is happening, uh, and more and more immigrants keep coming across the, the border, and the government has to spend money to uh, at least take care of them for the 20 days or so that they hold them in uh, custody and they're spending to uh, do that and keep them in humane conditions when American citizens could use that, that money. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to also uh, bring up the fact that, you know, you're, you're very familiar. You're an economist uh, with, with Trump's situation where he's suing capital one and he's suing Dutch Dutch bank uh, for yeah. the whole tax yeah. return thing that the, the House is trying to subpoena. Uh, give us a little thoughts on that. What are your thoughts? Well, so uh, it's obvious that the, the Democrats have uh, pretty much lost every argument to uh, impeach the president. There was no collusion. Uh, there's not evidence uh, that allows charges to be filed for any kind of obstruction of justice. Uh, so they've lost on that account. Um, they've wanted to Im impeach the president literally from the first day, maybe even before he got sworn into office, at least right after he won the election. They were looking for ways to uh, impeach. 
Um, they can't find any way. So the next thing is to go get, try to get his financial records. Uh, Trump has not given up his uh, tax returns. They believe that he's hiding something. Uh, so they're going to try to subpoena the records as best they can. I don't think they'll be successful. I think Trump's lawyers uh, will be able to stop them from getting records from banks, uh, Capital One and Deutsche Bank, for instance. So I think Trump will be able to uh, to stop that. Um, and the Democrats, you know, they're in charge of the House of Representatives, and that's typically where most laws uh, come from. Uh, so they really should start working on doing what they're supposed to do rather than trying to catch, catch the president. Um, he, as we mentioned, he has not released his tax returns. In my view, he can't release the tax returns, and there's a simple reason for that. Um, <clears throat> we've never had a president um, who's a, been a business person as complex as President Trump has been. Uh, you take a look at Correct. his tax returns and all the <clears throat> business dealings, uh, and everything he's done, I'm sure, is, is legal, but you'll get a reporter coming in there <clears throat> who uh, finds some kind of an inconsistency uh, and is sure that Trump has cheated somebody. And I'll give you just a real quick um, example. <clears throat> On Trump's uh, balance sheet, let's say he, he buys some, some land that's agricultural land. So and he paid uh, $100,000 for 10 acres. So he carries it on his uh, books as worth $100,000. Now, he can sub subdivide that land and get 10 uh, change the zoning from agriculture to residential, maybe get 10 building lots out of it, and maybe they're worth 50000 apiece. So if he subdivided, it would be worth 10 lots, $500,000. So when he goes applies for financing, he values the land at 500000 saying, I'll, if I get financing, I'll subdivide it and get it approved, and this is what it's worth. Um, but if when he's carrying it on his books for tax purposes, it's only valued at $100,000 what the true value is. Well, the point is there will be different values for the land if you look at different parts of his tax returns and proposals. Not that he's doing anything wrong. It's just the land will have different value depending on how a developer uh, manages to get approvals. But once the press gets a hold of that, already the Washington Post ran a story a couple of weeks ago. You may recall that uh, they found some document where Trump misstated uh, the value of property and see what a crook he is. They were insinuating. And again, it was just an example of uh, the land having different values depending on what, what you did with it. Well, his tax returns are going to be full of things like that. Uh, and if he re releases that to the public for the next at least two years, they'll go through that and they'll find every instance where it looks like it's an in inconsistency and they'll flood the airwaves with how President Trump is lying to everybody and uh, how he's been lying all along. I ran an article yesterday that said uh, we found 10,000 instances where Trump has been a liar. And if you take a look at all of them, uh, they're not really lies. Uh, President Trump is a New Yorker. Uh, New Yorkers are very proud people. They tend to exaggerate on a few things. And most of the times where you say it's a lie, it's really just Trump exaggerating. You know, it's done in advertising all, all the time. You say, well, uh, this is the world's strongest uh, cleaning detergent. Well, I mean, it's not the world's strongest, but you put that, they call that puffery in, in advertising. Well, Trump takes that same kind of view. Everything is the best and the greatest, and we're going to do uh, the most with it. 
And it's not that he's lying about things, but he has somewhat of an exaggeration. So everything that has to do with his uh, financial uh, statements, if he released all that, um, the press would get on that, find inconsistencies. He'd be fighting that for the next two years. Very very true. Very true. Um, Let me me take a quick commercial. Uh, We're going to come right back with everybody's thoughts. We'll be right back, everybody. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, Please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. And we are back. The Rory Sodder Show, worldwide, listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any of our past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextgenusa.com. And don't forget, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the network. And I'm very excited to share all the details with you. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I do want to go to uh, Mike Peters in New York. Uh, Mike, before you do uh, go speak, though, I do want to uh, mention a breaking news report that came in a little while ago. Apparently, the second uh, report that Bill Barr submitted, um, Mueller had some issues with. You know, the story's still developing. We'll get more into it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I uh, just wanted to mention that to everybody. But, uh, Doc, I mean, um, Mike, go ahead. Okay. What was uh, what, what, what do you want me to comment on as far as the the Mueller report or? No, the econ- um, we, I, I just thought you had some thoughts. We were talking about the economy stuff, and I just thought you had some thoughts you usually do. Um, no, I, I I agree on on the economy. Okay, I was confused because there's a lot going on here in New York. I was yeah. afraid to. The- I was thinking that you might have been brought brought up the uh, the lawsuit, which is Second Amendment related. That we we had wonderful news from the uh, Supreme so, Court that they will they Ru- turn down regarding to Russia. Okay, the Russia thing. I mean, I, I think a lot of these people that are that are worried about the economy and everything else, and they and they say, well, like it's been mentioned earlier, well, if there's problems and we involve ourselves in Venezuela, we could end up with a war with Russia and everything else. Money's tied in worldwide. It's not like it was. The way it was back right. in 1914, and and right. I think that they're overreacting and everything. There's no way the the money will dictate to Putin, and the corporations will dictate worldwide what's going on because every country has investments in other countries, including China and everything else. It's a different world, and uh, and there's a delicate balance now. So I think you know it's harder to be a, a statesman these days or, or to run your country because. You're under the gun financially by the financial, not just the institutions, not that the banks control it. I'm not saying that, 
but uh, it's a lot more involved. I mean, uh, so I don't get worried that worried about it because it's there's a lot of competition that's out there and uh, communism it's, and socialism. I, I just I go, oh, you know, I just whatever. It's whatever one people want to believe. There's a lot of money that's involved in here and, and uh, a lot of backroom deals. So we'll just yeah. keep our fingers crossed and yeah. hope that uh, everything goes well. But. Yeah, Eric, Eric, go ahead. Yeah, the, the thing that the thing of one of the benefits to living in uh, near Silicon Valley is I get to I get exposure to what's going on around Google, Facebook, the Israeli startups. And when it comes to the economy, basic universal income is a must, according to Silicon Valley, because they're expecting to replace 40 percent of the jobs in the next 15 years. And to go along with the Marxist overarching view from their worldview is that they're going to have to somehow employ people that their technology, AI, and robotics is going to displace, which goes hand in hand with this whole globalist idea of having a nanny state. So uh, with the economy, I'm actually, I'm actually, uh, I, I, if, if, if they try to go and rebuild the by raising taxes at the same time that progressive states are raising taxes, there'd be no way fiscally that somebody in a California, Illinois, New York, uh, or New Jersey could live if you start, because California is already tacking on fuel, fuel fees every single year. They raise the gas tax, the gas tax, the gas tax. If our DMV fees are double or triple the rates in most states. So I don't know how the federal government does a infrastructure rebuild if it's going to be based off of more taxes on people that are already getting taxed exponentially. The basic universal income out here, they're trying it in Stockton, which actually was a city that filed bankruptcy. They're giving people that are on aid $500 checks, which goes right into marijuana, drugs, and guns. So basic universal income is not going to work. It's going to be more money that's going to come out of the government coffer. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty intense that 2020 is probably more important than 2016 in the fact that if we don't put our marker in the ground and say no more immigration, we're going to we're, knock off the insanity and start prosecuting drug dealers and really going after these issues, then like I said earlier, if we're, we can't kind of – because we're having a great discussion, but, but in the end, there has to be solutions, and it has to be sooner than later. At $22 trillion in debt, going up exponentially, we're going to spend trillions of dollars on infrastructure. People can't afford more taxes. We have jobs everywhere, but there's still 40 million people getting food stamps the first of every month. So how is that possible if we have jobs everywhere, but the government's still paying people to sit at home? So we have to say, you know what, just like under Clinton, you have to go to work. You cannot sit at home. And if we keep bringing in a million and a half low-wage or low-skilled workers and robotics takes the jobs, where do these illegal aliens, where do they work? Then what happens to them if Trump loses in the future or in 24? Because Texas right now is really teetering. Florida could flip pretty easily. And then what happens to all these people when, when uh, Amazon, Walmart, and all these places has, you know, kiosk and other things, has robots doing the warehouse work, 
even in California, I live in the agricultural part of the state in Fresno. Yeah. All that will pick the tomatoes. So when you use ketchup next time, those tomatoes were picked by a machine, not by a, a, an immigrant. Because yeah. it reads the color of the tomato, then picks it. So if we have 40 million illegal aliens and robotics takes most of their jobs and we do a pseudo-amnesty, we just can't let that happen. So uh, right, with, the, with the basic universal income and everything else, I, th- I think we're going to have to step up and just be very politically incorrect in 20. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Kevin, go ahead. Oh, oh yes. So uh, it's a great point, my friends, about everything. Uh, what really concerns me the most is that uh, economic cycles go in uh, usually seven-year cycles. And if we've noticed what's been going on right now, we're at year 10, and uh, Trump has done a phenomenal job. You can see everything that he's done um, has really raised the stock market on the macro perspective. And uh, you can see every time that the uh, like the Democrats take more power, like in the midterms, that it made a very noticeable impact on our, on our economy. And you guys yeah. all mentioned why that is. Well, something that really concerns me is, well, what's going to happen when we have this economy that has a recession? I mean, it's only natural. We can't prevent recessions. We can't go on forever. And what concerns me the most is that we still have the Dodd-Frank economic uh, reforms that had passed. Uh, it's still in, in entirely in effect. And if we notice what that had done to our financial markets is that we had um, basically big business, big governments take over um, the whole financial and real estate market uh, in the sense that it really crushed small businesses. And uh, this happens in, in more areas than just this financial market uh, that yep. it really uh, is macro uh, economy is uh, – in favor of these big businesses. So if we really want to uplift the market as a whole, I really think that we should take down uh, and reform these structures in our financial system that would allow more economic freedom to us, you know, especially the blue collar, but just big business, uh, yeah. big business, not so much, but small business, definitely. For sure. For sure. Bill, go ahead. We have a few minutes left. Go ahead. Bill. Yeah. I, <clears throat> Immigration is the problem to our employment, and as far as as jobs and and unemployment and and food stamps, and you you remove that from the equation, and the, the, right now what there's there's you know more jobs available than there are people looking for jobs. So it, it's yep. it, you you know they talk about oh well these are got to be the qualified people to bring why train Americans. You telling me the Americans are too stupid that, that you have to bring a guy in from Pakistan? I don't think so. Right. So, you, and that 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 drives up wages to a natural point. But it, it, you have a an adverse type situation now with and that almost pits the normal homegrown American against an immigrant, legal or, or illegal, because. We're bringing what in a million legally, and we got another million, million and a half coming in a year illegally, and they're making it where they can work and they can get driver's license and they can go to school and they can get welfare, and and all this money. Where if you eliminate that from the equation, then there's more than enough programs to to reeducate people, to more people have work, wages would go up, and you don't have these problems. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. 
Yes. Uh, first of all, you know, it, there's been a lot said. I, I, I want to go back on what Eric was saying, uh, you know, out in the Silicon Valley. Cutting out a little bit, Dr. Branch. Well, I just want to say I want to, you know, uh, talk about what Eric was saying out in the Silicon Valley. Uh, I'm the chair for the largest doctorate program in information system technology in the world. We're surrounded by futurists, and we're all the time talking about not what's going to happen tomorrow or five years from now, but 10, 15, 20 years from now. You know, Eric brings up a great point, and I brought it up several times in this, you know, since I've been doing your show uh, what's going to happen, at, you know, by 2030 uh, and by 2035 is a significant portion of the workforce is going to be gone. Now, you had before uh, Stephen Hawkins died, you had Hawkins, Elon Musk, and Bill Gates going out mm-hmm. talking about these universal income, and you know, you see uh, com- countries like Finland. Uh, Also, Italy recently adapted what they're doing out in Stockton, California, and just given money. And the you know there's there's a huge problem associated with that. Uh, You know, and Dr. Bussler he he did talk about a lot of the problem, but one thing that he didn't bring up is where the money is going to be spent. Now, Kev, uh, now Eric did talk about you know drugs and guns, um, and that is a huge problem as well because you're not controlling it, but. Another thing I'd like to comment on what Dr. Bussler was talking yeah. about was also health care. Okay, health care needs fixed. Uh, Obama yeah. lied to us all. He brought this yeah. in. You can keep your health care if you want to keep your if you want your health care, you can keep it. That was just a lie. And yeah. another thing I want to bring up too is Donald Trump. He has turned his taxes in every single year. The federal mm-hmm. government has his taxes. And if there was anything wrong with his taxes, we would already know it. Dr. Bussler is right. They just want to bring stuff up for 2020, and, uh, you know, they just want to use that as a weapon. Very true. Uh, uh, Dr. Branch, please tell everybody where they can find you. Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bob Branch. That's B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-H. Perfect. Uh, IQ, can you give your thought in 30 seconds? Yeah, you have quick thoughts about this? No problem. Just Google my name, El Rasuli, A L R A S O L I, and God bless you all. Thank you, sir. Uh, Eric, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, I'm on uh, mojo50.com in two hours, 11 o'clock p.m. Um, Pacific time, 2 a.m. Eastern, mojo50.com. Also, I have a social media platform. If you want to get off of Facebook, it's magabook.com, and love to see you over there. All right, sounds good, Eric. We'll have you back soon. Always a pleasure, man. Uh, Kevin, Thank you. please tell everybody where they where they can find you, Kevin. Oh, yes, please find me on Facebook at Nationalist United or our website, nationalistunited.com. Thanks, Rory and everyone. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to uh, Bill. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Early Texan. Say it one more time. You can find me on Twitter at Super Elite Texan. Thanks for a good show. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Bustler, please tell everybody where they can find you. Twitter is at M-B-U-S-L-E-R. That's at M-B-U-S-L-E-R on Facebook. My page is Funding Democracy. 
Perfect. We'll talk. We'll talk to you next week, Doctor Buster. Thank you. Uh, Let's go to Daryl. Daryl, go ahead. Uh, Give your thoughts. Though I know you have a quick thought, you can do it in thirty seconds. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, healthcare is actually. um, uh, You know, Daryl Kane twenty. Now, Daryl Kane twenty twenty four dot com. Let's go back into healthcare on Thursday. We'll talk about it more on Thursday. Okay. Okay. Perfect, man. And uh, it it was great to have you. We'll see you Thursday, my friend. You too, brother. All right, bye. All right. Bye. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a fantastic show. Uh, I want to thank all my guests, my audience, my co-hosts and sponsors. Uh, again, you guys are all incredible. Uh, we will be back with you on Thursday night. We have a great show planned, and I can't wait to uh, share it with all of you. Uh, everybody, have a great night, and uh, God bless you all. I'm Rory Sodder. Cheers. <laughs>